wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Hi, everyone. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. So good to be back. It's a beautiful sunny day here in far north Queensland. Um, I'm looking out at the blossoms. Our jacaranda trees are out. So pretty. So um, I just wanted to give you a couple of updates on news before we start the podcast. It, uh, I've got really exciting news. In case you didn't see it on Facebook, you probably did because it's gone crazy. But um, there's a new gluten-free cooking show coming out on SBS Food. How exciting is that? I don't know if I've ever heard of a gluten-free cooking show before except the Paleo Way, which was obviously gluten-free. But this one is hosted by Helen of Hungry and Fussy. And um, she gets different people onto the show to cook with her. And I'm one of them. So that's really exciting to be on TV for the first time. (laughs) Um, So the show's called Loving Gluten Free. And you will find it on SBS Food. I think that's Channel 13. um, I better not. Don't quote me on that. I'm hopeless with TV. But um, SBS Food. And you can go online and watch it on SBS On Demand as well. And it begins on the 17th of this month. So that's a Thursday night and it'll also be airing on Sundays, um, the same episode. So it airs twice in a week. So you can find out more about that over on SBS Food and just look up Loving Gluten Free. So my episodes are in November and I'm sure I'll remind you again about it. But yeah, it's very exciting and I hope that you'll all support this new show because You know, there's a lot of us that have been waiting for a healthy cooking show or a cooking show that um, caters for allergies. And this one caters for both health and allergies, which is amazing. Apparently, SBS got heaps of, um, has had heaps of requests for gluten-free cooking shows. So, um, yeah, I'm really happy about this. So, well done, Helen and the loving gluten-free team. And we're looking forward to watching Um, Another bit of news, we have seminars coming up in Brisbane and Byron Bay. So these are our next Nourishing Your Family seminars. So myself and Elise Comerford, um, she's my friend who's an integrated nutritionist and GAPS practitioner, and she's on this show quite often, so I'm sure you guys know her. Um, She'll be with me in Brisbane and Byron Bay. She actually lives in Byron Bay, and we'll be talking about all things health, healing from chronic illness, helping kids with allergies and um, all sorts of um, health issues to heal and also just helping you with getting on track with healthy eating with your family, Um, some simple tips for fermenting your own vegetables, how to make pate, how to get those meat stocks and good fats in, how to um, have treats and sweets that are healthy and won't like just ruin every, all the hard work that you're doing, <laughs> but also how to not stress out over your diet and how to reduce the food stress and how to reduce the lifestyle stress so that your body has the headspace and the, um, the energy to heal. So this is what we'll be talking about in our seminars and we'll be cooking and you'll have tastings and there'll be lots of fun. So if you want to know more about our events coming up, you can go to quirkycooking.com.au slash events and you'll find all the info there. 
Um, okay, so we're going to be talking to a lovely couple, Dan and Leanne Cordner from Belisato Farms today. And um, Dan and Leanne are my chicken suppliers, and I really want you guys to meet them. So they have a little farm here in Far North Queen, uh, sorry, in North Queensland, in Ingham near Townsville, and um, they bring their beautiful chicken to the markets, and you can also buy on the farm. And the reason why I wanted to get them on the show is because they have an interesting story of, you know, leaving the um, the world where you work long hours and hardly see your kids and they got tired of that lifestyle partly because Leanne's health went downhill. Um, They lived in Melbourne and um, Leanne got very ill and she had to change her lifestyle, change her diet and move to sunny North Queensland and then she started to improve in her health and they decided to, um, to jump in and become farmers and this is a really big decision for those of you who are interested in starting your own small farm or big farm and you know you're not from a farming family maybe this is a good podcast to listen to because they talk about um, what they learnt and um, how much they love it but it is a difficult life but they have some really great tips Um, and also it's um, you know the reason why they do what they do is because they want to supply their community with good food, but they also want to give back to the environment and improve the soil um, and regenerate the land where they live. And so that's part of what they're doing. So regenerative agriculture um, is something that you would know about from previous podcasts where we talked to Joel Salatin, the world's most famous farmer. If you haven't heard that podcast, you need to go back and listen to that one as well. That one's great. And um, Dan and Leanne have actually done courses with Joel Salatin and learned from him. And um, that's the style of farming that they do. So have a listen. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. And if you ever get a chance to try their chicken, you must. It's absolutely delicious. Have a great week, everyone. Chat to you soon. Welcome to the show, Dan and Leanne. It's so nice to have you guys on the show finally. Um, and we've been looking forward to sharing your story. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. How hey. are you? <laughs> um, so how's the weather there in, in um, Ingham, hot as ever? It's quite warm today, but there's a bit of promising clouds. So hopefully oh, that's we'll get good. A- been dry? It has been since it stopped raining in around May. We've had very little, but wow. as you know, we had a lot earlier. Yes. <laughs> yes, for those of you who don't know, Dan and Leanne live in North Queensland um, near Ingham, which is about, oh, how far north of Townsville? Um, um, an hour and a bit north of Townsville. Yeah, yeah. and um, they had a bit of a rough trot with all the flooding a while back. Do you want to tell us about that quickly? Yeah, we, we'd had a few reasonable-sized floods when we um, when we first moved to the farm, which is well, less than four years ago. Uh, but end of last year, we had one night where we had over 700 millimetres of rain. Unbelievable. Um, and then again, we had more flooding end of January and start of February this year. So, wow. yeah, we've, we've seen about four and a half metres of rain um, over our wet season this year. Wow, uh, massive. And now, now the dry. 
That's Australia. <laughs> is this the weather pattern in Ingham or is it uh, irregular? Um, that much rain is quite unusual. Our okay. annual rainfall is around the 2 to 2.2 metres a year. Oh, so, so we do double the wet climate. Um, but yeah, four and a half metres in, in five odd months is quite wow. unusual. And that's one of the joys of being a farmer, dealing with all that, hey? <laughs> the gamble of what the weather's going to throw you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then in the end, um, you never, well, you weren't farmers all for uh, your entire lives. Can you maybe give us a little bit of background of how you became farmers and how long ago? So we moved to the farm just under four years ago. Um, prior to that, we were Mexicans. <laughs> and um, we lived in Townsville and lived in Townsville for nearly 10 years. And, um, yeah, had the brilliant idea that we'd buy a farm and grow chickens. So, yeah, it was quite a... Just a, a quick wrap-up with our backgrounds. Um, yeah, neither of us are farmers. Our parents aren't farmers, so... So that was very brave. <laughs> yeah, brave or crazy or... Mechanical engineer by by degree and a fitter and turner by trade. Um, have worked in different industries from automotive manufacturing to um, the resources industry. And Leanne, I did um, science at uni, so I did immunology and microbiology. Worked as a research assistant for a couple of years, and then had some pretty poor health, and then worked in an office when we were in Townsville. So, a few mm. different things. It was actually um, the health that brought us to North Queensland in the first place. And, yeah, that's probably one of the, the main things that got us interested in farming as well, food production, ah. how can food grow. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, the, the background and um, why you were interested in, in the well, farm? We're going back a few years, but uh, what actually wasn't long after Leanne and I got together, um, she started getting quite unwell and going through a lot of different doctors and specialists. Um, going through a myriad of testing to try and work out what it was because the, the symptoms were similar to chronic fatigue, hmm. so just really chronic exhaustion and um, tiredness. Um, you went from riding 30, 35 kilometres every single day to at your worst, you couldn't walk 100 metres up the street without wow. having to sleep for four hours in the afternoon and it literally rightly and off for a few days. Hmm. Wow. Um, and then you come across... Doctor. Yeah, we ended up getting in contact through a uni um, professor and, and she got us on to Dr. Sharp, who works out of the Alfred in Melbourne. And he sort of was like, oh, oh look, I think it's all just food related. And we're like, oh, okay, well, all right, we'll, we'll keep going with the food side of things and see what happens. So it pretty much come down to um, a lot of it was, um, well, they, they ended up calling it multiple chemical sensitivity. So it wasn't just food, it was yeah. other chemicals as well. But um, you know, I had sensitivity to salicylates, that's MSG, um, amines I was fine with. Well, any sodium glutamate, so yeah. even natural, natural sodium glutamate mm-hmm. is properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfume, perfumes, perfumes with terrible paint fumes, anything that was a real flammable liquid, that would completely knock me out sort of mm. thing. So, well, not literally, but, yeah, that yeah. would really knock me around. So, um, yeah, so we sort of ended up, seeing him for quite a while, figuring out exactly what foods were actually affecting me. And once I sort of really restricted my diet, I, I did improve quite a bit. Um, in the meantime, then I was still working in the lab. 
everything was going okay. Then I started going downhill and he's like, no, you can't keep working with chemicals in the lab. You've yeah. got to stop doing that. But I suggest you go to Townsville because I've had a heap of other patients go to Townsville and they've found really positive results. Why is that? Just it the got, weather? Well, we, we spent a long time trying to work out what it was. Being <laughs> <laughs> a mechanical engineer at Lamb being a science major, we've both got that really inquisitive mind and challenging mm. mind. And I guess in short, we, we ended up coming up to Townsville. We just took a week or a week and a half holiday from Melbourne. Um, all of our friends and families are still Mexicans down south. <laughs> and we thought, oh, it got that bad that Leanne had to give up full-time work, um, mm. only work part-time, and it was really impacting our quality of life. Um, so we thought, we've got nothing to lose. Let's go up to Townsville and just on a bit of a whim, see if there's any truth to, um, to what Dr. Sharp was saying. And Pretty much within three days, I was a normal person. How weird That's is that? Like the, before we left, we actually purchased like the most MSG laden potato chips you could buy on the yeah, shelf, and we're like, let's just see if we can you know, get your <laughs> 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 science mind, isn't it? Trying yeah. these things out. <laughs> it was like yeah, I, I ate it, and I was completely fine. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is actually doing something. Like. Yeah. So do you think it was the dry weather? Was we really don't know. Um, it was after that week in Townsville, we pretty much decided um, as much as Melbourne was home and our friends and family were there, um, we put the workings in progress to, to relocate to Townsville. And There's going to be a mass exodus to Townsville now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just about leaving Melbourne. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. Melbourne, yes. <laughs> um, I took a ex- extended leave from my um, place of employment in Victoria and Leanne finished up work and we moved up. We thought we'd try it for a year and see whether the, the good health benefits continued mm-hmm. and they did. So, yeah, we've now been up North Queensland for 13, 14 years. Yeah. I'm really curious about this. So do you think it's, I guess, with these things that come out as chronic fatigue in um, inverted commas, you know, um, it, there's so many variables. So it can be things like chemicals and toxins in the environment. It can be mould. It can be um, genetics playing a part. It can be diet. So I guess maybe you pulled yourself away from so many of those environmental factors um, when you left Melbourne. Maybe. Was completely. Who knows? It's, what do you think? Dude? Intriguing. <laughs> Intriguing. Well, when we left Melbourne, we um we didn't do the quick trip up to Townsville. We spent about two odd months um okay. travelling. Mm-hmm. Ah, so you reduced stress as well. Yeah, <laughs> and we get well straight away. So as we're mm-hmm. heading north, slowly going up the coast, um, it was only once we got north of Bruce when you started feeling a little bit better. But still not. I was still, still on restricted diet and everything. It was only really once we got to Townsville and had like an overnight two days in Townsville and I started feeling completely normal. And then we continued north all the way up to the top of the Cape and she started getting unwell the further we got away from Townsville. <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird. Years. Do you guys have a lot of uh, Townsville real estate? And yeah, is this yeah, kind of like uh, advertising for Townsville? <laughs> and by the way, we have four beautiful properties up in Townsville. <laughs> Fantastic. That's such a, a great story. Yeah. I, I love that the doctor actually was so spot on. Like, it's very rare to get a doctor who's actually going to suggest food 
and a lifestyle change like that instead of giving you like pills or medications or things like that. That's incredible. What's the name of the doctor again? Sorry. It was Dr. Alan Sharp. Okay. And, and um, treated you remotely? Like, oh, or did you go? No, you were. No, no, because I was in Melbourne. I saw oh, him yes, at the right, yeah. there, and he's got his yeah. private practice interact there. Um, okay. But the thing was, every time I went back to Melbourne, I still come down with symptoms. So I'd still go on to safe food before I went down to That's Melbourne, right. and I'd still get, you know, I'd still be unwell when I went to Melbourne. It'd still take me a few days to recover when I got back to Townsville and you know that went on for quite a while my bubble did expand so it did start to include cans and I was okay sort of you know in far north Queensland I was okay sort of eating anything doing anything um and then the really weird thing is after we had our second daughter um I, I sort of got a bit unwell and something reset in the system oh, and now I'm good to travel anywhere I can eat anything and I don't have to worry at the moment so wow. Do you think it was like gut health related as well, like it generally is? And did the diet that you do help to heal the gut, do you think? No, okay. I don't think so because it was purely just an exclusion. Um, yeah, the okay. stuff I was eating would not have been. It was really, um, you know, when you have a really, really bad flu and you really run down and every yeah. part of your body aches. Yeah. And even in your face, you just get that really drawn out looking face. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how Leanne basically felt when she smelled something that set her off. So it was like wow. her body was triggering a massive immune response to different oh, chemicals. Oh, okay. And somehow that whole system reset mm. after we, we had um, Haley. So, yeah, we, we did look into it, whether it's the water or the air or there's some sort of magnetic effect around Townsville or some geography and, yeah. We looked for so long trying to work out what it was. <laughs> it's actually not uncommon to hear that uh, pregnant women lose their food intolerances and mm. they have things like the reduction in symptoms of autoimmune. That's, yeah. that's, I've heard that many times. Yeah, that happened mm. with my friend Talisha with her really major Crohn's disease. Yeah. It's quite common. Yeah. yeah, there is something about maybe, you know, the stem cells that are building the, the baby and, you know, regulating an immune system and training an immune system of a baby might actually have some kind of impact. We, I don't, I'm not really sure, but yeah. it, is, it is a common story. Yeah. It's one thing we both took away from it is that the human body and how it functions and works is so poorly understood yeah. by the medical fraternity and all of us. That, um, and that's where we started looking into foods, especially once we had kids. Mm. So, so what did you um, begin to change with your diet? since then with all this um, that happened i think when we first got to townsville i was just so excited to be able to eat anything that we <laughs> eat anything like you know within yeah always pretty healthy no, and yeah yeah, it's, it's, yeah. um but, but now especially since we've had kids as well we've, we've sought out knowing where our food comes from yeah. um and i think it's becoming more of a problem with a lot of imported foods too mm. i want to know who's growing the food and how they're growing it so um, yeah. um, it's really highlighted once we got into agriculture ourselves just how many chemicals are used on conventionally produced foods mm-hmm. and how close to harvest time they can be used um, and us having that experience with just how sensitive the body is and its immune response to is something as insignificant as a, the smell of a candle, what it can yeah. do to your body. Um, mm-hmm. What are we doing with our, and our kids by buying yeah, chemically laden foods? Mm. So now we we don't eat chicken that's not grown on our farm. 
Um, I know the, the beef producer that we eat all of our beef from, so we don't, oh, it sounds terrible, but we don't really don't buy meat from the supermarket at all. That's um, not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even the butchers. So if we know the butcher, he buys in beef meat, they also slaughter their own beef, their own beef from time to time. So we'll go, okay, well, we'll have what you eat because yeah. we an interest in how it's grown and how it's lived. So, you know, and same with our fruit and veggies. So we've got a, quite a lot of fruit trees on farm, but I want to be able to talk to the person that's growing what we eat as much as possible. And it's really hard at times, but mm. yeah, that, that's we, where we'd like to be. Yeah, we do what we can when we can. Yeah. yeah, that's all you can do. So where do you most, like, do you shop at markets or do you contact the producers? Yeah, markets or directly with the growers. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got a lady down south of Townsville that we're now buying goat from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few up at Atherton Tablelands that we still get a little bit of pork from and beef as well. Of course, ourselves for chooks and mm-hmm. fruit and veg. Um, there's a big organic, reasonable size organic grower down um, in Home Hill, south of Townsville, that we get a lot of our fruit and veggies from. Um, and then just other growers around and community around us. So there's yeah. a young fellow doing hip sweet potatoes at the moment and pumpkins and melons. And, yeah, trying to eat locally where we can instead of. Um, yeah, foods from all over the country and overseas. Mm. It's quite a, a nice place to be able to have access to all these local foods that are such high quality. See, North Queensland, you should live yeah. here, Fufu. <laughs> well, the problem is that it's North well, Queensland. <laughs> Why? What's the problem? Because <laughs> it's near Why? me. <laughs> oh, yeah. all, all my family and relatives and friends yeah, are in true. Sydney. So, yeah. That's, that's um, the thing, is I love it. It is a beautiful area. Well, and with that kind of rainfall as well. Yeah. I mean, with the farmers struggling at the moment with the drought, you know that you guys have had su- such huge amounts of water that we are seeing you through five months now, is it? Or uh, six months of not... Um, well, uh, when, when was it May that you mm. had your last train? So yeah, we've had little bits since then, but no more than... Oh, almost here, unless it's 10 millimetres or more, we don't even count it as rain. So, yeah. do, you, do you have dams that you're using for your farming? Is that how you do it? No, so we have all of the, so we do a little bit of sugarcane and, of course, the pasture-raised poultry. Um, that's all rain-irrigated or we're relying on the water stored within oh, the ground. Yeah. Okay. We don't irrigate at all on the farm. Um, around the farmhouse, yeah, we use, we've got a, a bore, shallow bore that we use water. But, okay. yeah, we're relying on rainfall for 99% of what we do. Yeah. That's incredible. And your drinking water is bore water? What, uh, yes. Yes, yeah, so we've got yeah. Yeah, filtered and sterilised bore water for our drinking water. How many acres is the farm? We've got 140 acres. All That's amazing. Okay. And how much of that is sugarcane farming? Um, well, the, we've got probably five or so acres around the house, sheds and abattoir. That's sort of us and veggies and everything. Um, and then where the sugarcane grows, we grow that in rotation with the poultry. So I guess a typical sugarcane farm, um, sugarcane's a perennial grass, so it's not planted every year. Um, we knew very little about sugarcane before we bought a cane farm. <laughs> right. We actually never planned to be cane farmers, um, but it's worked quite well with running poultry in rotation with cane. So I guess in short, we don't need the 140 acres we have to, to grow the chooks. Um, we only right. need 10 to 20 acres for the number of birds we have. Okay. And, um, of course, in the tropics, you've got challenges of keeping 
vegetation under control if you don't have some sort of livestock in there uh, wow. growing. So we've actually got the sugarcane in rotation with chooks and when we, we rest the sugarcane paddock after five or six years growing cane, we're planting a what they call a mixed species um, fallow block. So really all it is is a, a paddock that we plant 10 or 12 different plant species, let that establish over about a month or so and then put the chooks in. Mm. So in there we have everything from um, daikon radish, tropical mustard, um, clover, lucerne, millet, sunflowers, chicory, stylo, which is like a tropical lucerne. What else have I missed, Leanne? Cowpeas, mung beans, lab lab. And these so, are all feed for the chooks, like they're actually yeah. feeding on these as they... Um, they are on the property as the yes. irrigation is taking place. Very yep. happy so chickens. Yeah, food for chooks and also food for soil. And um, for, within one month, it goes from seed to uh, like the full plant with like. Uh, yeah, so within milk. a very short period, the millet comes up and it provides okay. sort of armor and protection from the soil. And you get different growth rates because we rotationally graze the chooks, so they move across the paddock. You'll find different plant species established at different speeds, um, but everything gets a chance to get up. So it must be like how like the sun is so powerful there. Like I'm in the Blue Mountains, it takes me forever to grow like a pea. You know, it's just, <laughs> just uh, like I planted it six years ago, and I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, think it like our grass has to be mowed every week here. Just about if you want to keep a nice lawn, it's just my head. Yeah, just like my head. It's like your head. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I won't say anything else about your head. (laughs) This is a public podcast. Yeah, that's right. I thought that I bit my tongue. (laughs) So, where did you guys learn this uh, method? Um, I I guess you know maybe to outline the the challenges of uh, something like a, a. monocrop like sugarcane, what would typic- what would a typical sugarcane farmer be doing? Would they be employing these methods or would In, they be No, we're we're quite and especially with the poultry, we're probably one of the only anyone else in the country running poultry on sugarcane fallow. There's a few growers that do graze, so they'll have livestock being mainly cattle, go through and graze on their fallow blocks. So they're trying to incorporate an animal in that system. Um, but a typical cane farmer in our area, we don't burn the cane in this district. It's all harvested green. Um, but they'll either run just a weedy fallow block, so they'll let whatever comes up come up in that block and then spray that out with chemicals yeah. before you're planting. Or you'll get some that will take the they'll terminate the cane and then plant soya beans or cowpeas or lab uh, lab lab so a, a legume crop. So they're trying to break that monoculture um, as the well nitrogen, as the, back in the soil. nitrogen in their yeah, soil. Yeah, yeah. So improve their soils. Yeah. And, and what, what, what do you see, like having the chicken, what do they contribute to the health of the environment? Yeah, we've got a paddock that we had poultry on for about 18 months um, that we've just put back under sugarcane. And... One of the measures of you know, the biological activity in the soil is um, what they call glomulin, which is a, a protein that's basically like a glue um, that binds your soil to your roots. So you get like a, a sheaf of soil on the outside of your root structure on the mm-hmm. plants that are growing there. And we've never seen 
a lot of glomulin anywhere on the entire farm. Um, where we've just taken the chickens away um, and planted cane, both the cane and the weeds growing through there have got um, glomulin levels on epic proportions. Uh, yeah. Is that like I saw a photo on Facebook a while back showing two different um, uh, the structure of underneath the soil and the grass roots. And um, the soil that had um, regenerative agriculture, it was right next to each other. And the yeah. soil with the regenerative, uh, regenerative agriculture had really long, hairy, clumpy roots and the um, yeah. one next to it had the very short, sparse-looking roots and it was the same grass. So yeah. is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so long-term we'll get that. Mm. Um, so your, your plants... Your soil health is very similar to your gut health in a lot of ways where mm. the plant can't survive or live without, um, well, it can if you've got conventional ag and you give it all of the minerals in a, a dissolvable form. It's like you can keep a human alive by giving them just tablets with mineral supplements. Okay, you need this many kilojoules of energy a day, we'll give you that. All that, that um, stuff that feeding, they yeah, feed people. Yeah, um, exactly. You can keep somebody alive. Yeah. And plants and soils are exactly the same. Mm. If you've got a, a live, functioning, thriving soil and a diverse plant crop growing there, um, the microbes feed the plant because the plant feeds the microbes. So um, the grasses we grow, so sugarcane or any other plant we grow, they're really just solar converters. So they convert sunlight and carbon dioxide into sugars. Mm -hmm. um, about a third of that sugar that a plant generates goes straight down to the roots. So it's going down there to feed the microbes and the microbial community. And the only reason the plant's doing that is you've got funguses and bacteria and other organisms in the soil that can access minerals the plant can't. Mm. So it feeds the fungus, here you go, here's some sugar, and that fungus can actually make phosphorus available to the plant. Um, and similarly with bacteria. So the plants have evolved, um, and again, like human gut health and human health, we, we don't fully understand all of those relationships and how it works. Um, but if you get a thriving soil health the plants grow unbelievably well yeah this is like the um the idea of reciprocity which is something that was seen in um you know instead of having a financial system it was like an exchange of uh you know um, goods and uh, people would exchange goods as well that was even our way of doing things like people yep. Um, thrived by looking after each other in that same way as well um, and looking after nature but um, we kind of sort of got money in, in the middle luckily the plants haven't um, <laughs> um, you you were mentioning earlier when we were talking before we started the podcast that you don't like the word sustainable and uh, we didn't get a chance to really talk about that so sustainable agriculture what, what do you think about that term and um, what are you, yeah? What are your views on it? Yeah, it's. I get uncomfortable around the, the use of the term sustainable ag. Um, our farming system in this district's farmed sugarcane since the 1800s, um, and really since the the advent of mechanised farming and the um, the chemical farming, we've continually degraded our soils. So mm. certainly no fault of of those that have farmed in the past and, and even farming now, there just hasn't been that knowledge and awareness um, how yeah. destructive storage and chemical ag can be to soil. Um, so if we're talking about sustaining a, a soil 
system that we've already degraded to such a poor state. Um, I've got big problems with that. I, I want to Very leave easy. our soils and the land we're on in a vastly better state. So I need mm. to regenerate my soils. Um, sustainable is just not good enough for us. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of where we sit around the sustainable ag. So it's you're easy. looking at regenerative farming, not sustainable. You want it Absolutely. to be better. Yeah. Okay. We want to continually improve our soil health and the environment around us. Yeah. Um, and also part of the regenerative bag focus is, is not just around um, sustaining a profit or sustaining the soil health of the system. It's about regenerating our, our community, the people around us, um, our way of life and our health and well-being. But mm-hmm. it's looking at a more holistic thing than just the bottom line. Um, when it comes to the chicken that you're raising, are you using the conventional breeds that um, you can see in most supermarkets? No. We we did trial some when we first came to farm. Um, but I'll give you a, if you've got time, I'll give you a quick run through on the, the yes. poultry meat industry in Australia. Do it. So, <laughs> my knowledge about it is poultry. So <laughs> I, have, I have to, every, every podcast I have to make a, a silly pun. So. It's got to have at least one dad yeah. joke. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, uh, speaking of dad jokes, I just want to say, um, you know, our guinea pigs say, we tweet, you know, like that's how they kind of um, squeak around the house. And the girls call them, call them and they say, we tweet. And I said, come on, guys, this is a gluten-free household. Stop, stop it with all this wheat, you know. And that was my dad joke. <laughs> 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 it's so weird. <laughs> Thank you. Now back, back to the important topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, you forgot what he was saying. You were going to tell us about the poultry industry. <laughs> meat chicken industry in Australia. Um, Probably 99% or maybe a bit more than 99% of all chicken sold and eaten in Australia is one of two breeds of chicken. Um, they're either, there's two genetic lines. One genetic line is called a Ross um, genetics and the other is a Cobb. One of those, and I can never, I won't say which one's which, but one's a US genetic strain and the other one's Scottish. Mm-hmm. So everything that we eat in the country has come from genetics bred overseas um, and those birds have been selectively bred to maximise their weight gain, so to get big as far as possible, and for the breast yield of the bird. Mm-hmm. So those birds, it's a slaughtering age in about 33 to 35 days. What? So from, you know, the little yellow fluffy chicken you always see is yeah. the day-old cooks. So what you see in the supermarket, smaller birds are around 33 to 35 days old. Hmm. And the bigger birds are at most about 45 to 49 days old. So they don't even live for about seven weeks. They must be um, feeding them a lot to get them to grow so quick. Yeah, oh. they, they grow unbelievably quick. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions that they've had hormones to grow that fast, but it's actually been legal to feed hormones to poultry since about the time I was born, so okay. showing my age since back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been legal to feed poultry any sort of hormone in terms of growth um, growth stimulant mm-hmm. but it's just the that breed of chicken really if we food there and the sunlight it will sit there and eat and they eat like nothing else um, <laughs> and do they give them hormones no no, no, no hormones at all um so even in your the cheapest chook you'll get in um one of the, the big supermarkets 
yeah, there's no hormones in oh, those. So you were saying it was illegal. It's been illegal or illegal? Illegal. Illegal. Okay. It was, it was just um, cutting out a tiny bit, so it was hard to hear. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so they say. So, since when has it been illegal? The 1970s. Ah, uh, okay. So when they say hormone-free chicken, I mean this is like just like saying chicken, it's, basically. It's just a marketing oh. tool. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's been against the law to give them hormones since the 70s. So, the the industry is very very good at marketing. Uh, but in short, I guess that the Ross and Cobb, we thought, well, maybe we can try those on farm, and if we put them out on grass, they'll grow slowly and they'll they'll live a, a comparable long life. Um, so we started with a couple of hundred Ross cobs on the farm and they grew unbelievably fast, even out on grass and trying to get them to scratch around and roam. Really, they go, oh, there's my food there and there's my water. I'm not moving too far from here. So they, because they do grow so quick, they really do spend a lot of time just sitting down. Also, the other challenge is there's... They achieve their, their massive weights and are slaughtered by seven weeks. Um, if you try and grow them out much past that, they can start getting a lot of health issues. They really, it's just like humans, the, the wild poultry, and anyone that's had a teenage child will know this, that um, you get to the teenage years and you get a bit gangly because you're really putting on height. So you're growing your skeletal system. Mm-hmm. And chooks, at least the chooks in most people's minds, are exactly the same. So around 10, 12 weeks, they're starting to grow their skeleton a lot. They don't have much meat on them. But what they achieved with the Ross Cobb genetics of those birds was the birds would actually put on massive amounts of muscle before they grew skeletal, so before their skeleton grew. Mm-hmm. That's why you can grab a drumstick on a chicken nowadays and you can usually break it because they just haven't put any energy into growing bone. They're just yeah. growing muscle. So after seven to nine weeks, they start having issues with bone. They can have their legs break. They can also have cardiac failure because their organ development isn't actually keeping up with their muscle development. Mm. Um, They're like those types of dogs that you know can't survive because mm. they've bred them so much as well. Like yeah, yeah. The, the genetics are are just freak genetics now. Yeah, yeah. We, totally. Well, we ended up pointing them Franken chickens. Yeah, right, I was about to say <laughs> Franken chicks. Um, they really were an unnatural bird. They wouldn't survive in nature. No. They, just, they wouldn't survive. And we, I guess being city folk um, and not being involved in the, the meat poultry industry, we couldn't bring ourselves to, to do that to an animal that if it escapes from our area, that it would die because its, it's genetics just wouldn't su- support it in the wild. They don't like it if it gets too whole, hot. They don't like it if it's too cold. They don't like it when it rains. They're just really bred to live in a shed um, at mid-20 degree weather and to only live for five to seven weeks. So that was the um, the last time we ever ate a Ross or a Cobb broiler bird. And, yeah, since about three years, we've only eaten our heritage summer lad chooks. Mm. Uh, yeah, go, Joe. I was just going to say, tell us a bit about that breed, the summer lad. The summer lads, yeah, well, this gentleman, I guess when we first started looking into um, and romancing the idea of being chicken farmers. We <laughs> Which we still knew, haven't heard about yet. But anyway. we, <laughs> we, we looked around and both Leanne and I have always been high achievers and always thought to do the best we could <laughs> possibly do. So we looked around the country for who's breeding the best quality chickens um, in the country. And we come across a gentleman called Michael Summerlad. So he and his wife, Catherine, and their kids um, had a farm down at Tenterfield, 
and Michael's worked the meat chicken industry his entire life and saw some difficulties. And when they first started bringing in the rock and the pod birds and losing the Australian developed genetics, um, he started trying to breed a bird that's suited to being raised out on pasture. Um, that's a heritage style bird, so it's a slow growing bird, so you get unbelievable meat taste and texture, um, as well as being able to handle freezing weather and stinking hot weather. And um, yeah, so he spent about 14 or 15 years developing what he named the summer lad breed of chicken. So we're one of the, the lucky few that got his birds, and they, they take about two to three times as long to get to slaughtering age. So they're just like the chooks everyone imagines. Um, we've had a few chefs ask us if we can provide them with one or 1.2 or 1.4 kilo birds. Um, the truth is when our birds are that size, they're really just skeleton. There's very little muscle in them. Um, they're in their growth phase. So mm-hmm. we... we so, um, so like at that point when... like. What is the the lifespan of a bird like that? How long would it actually be? We've got some of our breeding birds out there that'll be pushing on five years old. Wow. Um, a chicken will live, yeah, eight odd and years. They look very different to the, the younger, like the 12 week old chicken. Yeah, so compared to all the broiler, compared to the white broiler birds, um, these guys look completely different. And no, or not many summer lads look alike, so they're not all identically feathered. We've got birds out there that have got white feet and black feet and some that have a Transylvanian naked neck genetics, so they've got no and Joe's seen these guys as well. Yeah, they're funny um, looking. They look, most people look at them and almost freak out because they've got no feathering on their necks um, and very little feathering on their body, but they thrive in the heat. So even now we've got quite a warm day and the naked necks, they're out there scratching around in the full sun, um, chasing mm. bugs and everything else they can find in the soil, so... There's naked necks in there. We've got the, the barred colouring of Plymouth rocks in our birds. Uh, we've got some birds that have got big fluffy fluffy bums and fluffy beards that the favorels have. So there's a lot of mixed genetics in there. But, yeah, they're, they're just beautiful, slow-growing birds, real characters. And what I love about them is, um, yeah, like you were saying, the flavour and the texture, it's almost like turkey. Like they're, they're a big bird and there's a lot of that beautiful rich brown meat kind of more yeah. more so than that bland breast meat i don't really like breast meat i like the brown meat <laughs> <laughs> tell us about um, that kind of thing the um comparison i guess our birds do have dark meat on them so it's always and when i was growing up i always wondered what the there's a little bit of difference between dark meat of your industrial birds it's a little bit pinker in color um but our chooks, especially if we get some older birds there, the colour of the the, le- the drumstick and the thigh is almost comparable to pork or even darker mm. than pork. So it's real deep, deep colour um, and unbelievably rich flavour. And that's because it's a an older bird that's been out in the pasture tearing around um, and the muscles have done work instead of just sitting down and eating. Mm. So it really is just a measure of how much that muscle's moved and worked and how long the birds lived. So... Yeah, it's, it's amazingly good. Haven't you small. won um, some kind of prize for your meat or um, what was the Delicious magazine? I remember seeing something about that. Yeah. The last two years, so this year and last year, we picked up the, the state award um, for the Delicious Produce Awards um, in from the paddock category. Cool. So, yeah, 
really blown away considering we've only been on farm for less than four years. Mm. Um, and we also, I guess, have the added challenge that we don't have an abattoir nearby that we could send the birds off to. So we've had to learn how to slaughter and process our birds ourselves as well. Mm. So it's definitely a, um, a cottage business. <laughs> Everything from breeding through to yeah, delivering the final product to, to those that we're lucky to feed. And I'm lucky enough that I get it delivered to my door once a month yeah, by Dan. <laughs> I stopped short of cooking it for you, Joe, but that's just... <laughs> what did you say? Sorry? I stopped just short of cooking it for you. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it taste in a butter chicken recipe? Oh, um, so good. Actually, they've got, a, they've got a version of my butter chicken on the website, don't you? Um, yeah, we've got an updated Joe's best butter chicken. So <laughs> we it is delicious. Bone, so we do Maryland's or wings um, and leave them on the bone, and it's a couple mm. of and it is absolutely divine. Yeah. Do the chooks produce eggs? Yeah. So our breeding flock, um, they produce eggs for us. So right at the moment, we're getting. Oh, okay. pinches and other bits and pieces because they're producing more eggs than what we incubate and hatch. Ah, okay. So you can eat eat some eggs. Yeah, that's just that's just us eating them on the farm. Yes, yeah, excess eggs, but we don't actually the the birds that we're processing for meat. Um, so the growing birds, I guess, they don't get old enough to be producing eggs. Ah, so we okay. process. So they're normally processed, I guess, from about ten to sixteen weeks is about average. Um, but the breeders we obviously keep for longer and, mm. and they reach maturity and, and they are the ones producing the eggs. I'll often start laying at 20 to 24 weeks. Mm. You know, yeah, the, the girls and guys that we, we process for meat side, they never get mature enough to, to give us um, mm. eggs. But Do you select your breeders as well from the, uh, the stock that you have? Do you got this one that we're going to keep as a breeder? It looks healthy or like... Is it, do you do that or do you buy your yeah. breeders? The whole breeding side is yeah, very complex. So we do, yeah, we've got to put certain birds across other birds um, to then be able to pick sort of like the best 10% people's breeders. Mm. Um, but that's a whole nother, whole nother science and art to, to right. getting that. We're, We're still well. learning that. We're far from that. <laughs> yeah. It does sound very sciencey, all this farming. Who knew? <laughs> So that's is that what got you interested? Like, how did you get interested in the idea of, of starting this farm? Oh, Besides well, the health side of things, which obviously we talked about. It was the health side, and I think we'd we'd had backyard chooks for quite a while when we were living in Townsville, mm -hmm. and really loved chooks, and we knew how good um, they could taste. Mm. It sounds weird, sort of saying that you love an animal, but then you also process it for meat. Mm -hmm. um, but we. I guess knowing a few other producers, we know that that's reality. That's that's how it works. Um, even for your vegetable crops, there's, there's death that feeds the plants. Um, that's how that, the soil health and system works as well. Yeah. So we we'd romance with the idea. Um, the company I was working with, they went through a restructure um, and basically got the opportunity to, to get a payout that would allow us to survive for a, a year or a year and a half without a salary. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we uh, we really sat back and was that it was very cliche, but 
was almost at the, the crossroads of our life and we could go down this path and keep doing work and I was earning quite good money where I was working and we could keep doing that um, or we could give farming a try and buy a farm, basically pour our, our life savings into the farm and see if we could make that work. Mm. Um, the challenge with my work that I was doing, I was away from home as much as I was home. So I was missing those sort of events as the kids grow up. So you're missing the occasional birthday or you're just not getting a, a hug from your kids before they go to bed at night and that type of thing. Um, so we really said, okay, well, five or ten years from now, if we go down each of these two paths and look back, um, would we would we hold regrets or would we be comfortable and happy with the decisions we've made? And it really came down to, no, let's dive in. If we're ever going to um, to make a go of it, doing farming, now's the time, and, and that's what we did. So um, what advice would you give to other people who are wanting to change their lifestyle and live on the land and start a bit of farming or, you know, maybe they've already been looking into it and they just want to know, you know, what's the best advice you have for them? (laughs) (laughs) I'd say one thing that when you think of farming, you don't, I guess we were very naive with the number of hats that you actually have to wear. And, and look, I think that's probably coming down to small business slash. Yes, any, any small business, yeah. Yeah, it's, you don't realise the skill set that, you know, you mm. do your job and you have your skills and that's what you do and you, you sort of have that one sort of all couple of skill sets that you use. When we got into farming, it was just like, wow, like these guys just do so many different things that they don't even realise they do and, yeah, it's just second second nature for them. So that was probably one thing that is really you've got to You've got to manage a business as well as do all the work in the business, which is like full on. Like yep. you must have long days. Sales, mm-hmm. deliveries, uh, <laughs> all, all the unread stuff, the weather. Website. Um, <laughs> yeah. How long are your days, can I ask? Yeah, I think it's probably more the question of how many things do we not get done in the <laughs> <Yeah>. day? <laughs> it's difficult keeping that balance and yeah. trying to find a happy balance and not go completely, you know, look, probably looking back the last few years, we've probably not been great with keeping that good work-life sort of balance. It's been a lot more work than, you know, we make. That's the way it is when you start something though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you know what? At least you've got your kids there with you. You know, yes. I, I came out to your place and it's beautiful, and the kids are out there playing and they're grabbing the chickens and showing me. And you know, it's it. They, you can tell that. Oh, that's right. You guys were setting up for a tour, and the kids oh, are right. set up, yeah. and they're part of it. So that's so different to a normal job, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I guess for anyone that is thinking about. Um, changing the lifestyle and going to farming, um, a really great way to get insight into whatever farming you, you're thinking about going into is get out there and volunteer. So get out mm. there and find who are the best farmers that are growing the produce you're thinking about doing. Um, phone them up and say, can I come and work for you for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a month or two? Um, I'll give my time. I just want to learn what you do. Yeah. There's so many in the farming community that would love to see new people come into the industry. Um, yep. And they're more than willing to share their, their time and experience. Um, and we're the same. So we, mm. we're one of eight 
small farmers that contributed to a, a book recently, Farming yeah. Democracy, where we tell our story about the farm, what we do on the farm, what, what brought us into farming, and also then the costs involved, and not just the financial costs, but the, the time and energy that goes into it and the skill set you need to pick up. So Awesome. Yeah. Mm. Is the book out? Yeah, the book's out. It's published by Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. Alliance. <laughs> or maybe you can send us the link and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, a lot of it, it might be you might think, you know, if you volunteer at a farm for six weeks or eight weeks that, you know, you're giving up, it, it's a big chunk of time. But the amount that you will learn during that oh, yeah. period, and I guess it's much easier to do it for six weeks or eight weeks and go, you know what, actually, it's not really what I want, rather than, you know, once you've invested and purchased and, you know, you've committed to it, it's not so easy to just turn around and go, actually, this wasn't really what we're up. <laughs> we're a bit stuck yeah. now. Yeah, you need the reality check before you begin instead of after. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. That's, that's good advice. Thank you. Um, can we let everyone know where... If, where they can buy your chicken if they're in North Queensland, just in case some um, people listening want to go, well, I want to try it. <laughs> um, With all the people moving to Townsville now. I know, gonna, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the market will be, yeah. you know, getting yeah. a bit sparse because they'll all want your chicken. <laughs> yep. We um, fell directly from the farm just outside of Bingham. Um, so your folks can look us up on Facebook or Instagram to find our contact details there. We also do younger borough markets once a Ooh. month in the Atherton Tablelands. So that's typically the fourth Saturday of every month. And we do Cotter's Market in Townsville once a month as well. That's normally the third Sunday of each month. Awesome. So, yeah, they're, they're sort of the three outlets at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're still only very, very small scale. Um, just give you some context. It's about 1.85 million chickens eaten a day in Australia. Wow. Which is for food. Um, we only do 50 a week, so we're a very small drop in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> They're a very good 50. <laughs> I know, that's right. <laughs> well, I think a lot more people would like to have your chickens, but, yeah, when, you, when you're doing it the, um, the old-fashioned way, the good way, yep. you're not pumping them out by the millions. No, we, we don't plan to get a lot larger than what we are now. Um, really just wanting to feed our local community. And yeah. It's, um, and, yeah, it's a, I guess like chicken used to be. When I was little, chicken wasn't a protein that we ate every day or every That's second right. day. Yeah. Um, it was quite an expensive cut and really was special occasion. So you might have it for a, a birthday dinner or Sunday roast. Um, yeah. And this is what our chicken is mm. like. It's... Mm. That's an animal that's lived a good long life. Um, it costs a lot of money to, to have an animal live so long, the food that goes into it, and, of course, yeah. all the infrastructure um, to process it and house it. So it's not something most people can afford every day. Um, mm. And, yeah, we do try and celebrate the chicken the way it used to be sort of 40, 50-plus years ago. And with one more thing we've got to mention before we go um, is these chickens are looked after by Marema dogs and it's just so beautiful. I love it. I went out there and there's the dogs running around with the chickens and keeping an eye on them. It's really sweet. They're one of, one of the most important team members we have. So yep. you know, we've got a, a lady that helps us in the abattoir, Katie, once a week, and then we've got a team of Marimas and um, they're all <laughs> critical to what we do. So mm-hmm. there's, um, we've got Charlie and Lucy that look after our breeding birds 
And then um, Banjo, we're not sure what Banjo looks after. <laughs> He's so cute. When I went there, he came running up to me and he had egg yolk on the back of his head. <laughs> we were like, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what we don't egg clean up once we don't find all the... Oh, okay. We're not <laughs> Oh, and Ralph and Yuki are our other, other two critical teams. So, yeah. Oh, look, it's a beautiful place and we love doing what we do. And it is a beautiful life, even though it's a hard hard yakka at times. It's, it, it's just so good to see you guys out there doing what you love and, um, like you say, feeding your community awesome food. <laughs> no, we, there's nothing more rewarding than hearing back from customers especially first-time customers mm. and when you get told the stories that oh, it took us back to when i was a little kid and yeah taste just like unlike anything i've ever had before because of course i try and tell folks that when i'm selling it main thing i'm just trying to sell them a really good story and here buy some chicken it's really good but it really is really good <laughs> yeah it really really is <laughs> yeah. oh well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast um we'll put all the links in the show notes for you guys to find out more about um, what they do at Bellisato. And if you've got any questions, I guess they can go onto your Facebook page. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's great. And if anyone wants to volunteer at your farm so they can learn. <laughs> sure, they say. We'll have some help. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed having you here. Yeah, it was great. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you for having me. This has been a production of the Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.